The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also message us during the show from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner and your anonymity is always respected. So today's show was titled Responsible Who? Me? Because you know often in our active addiction we expected other people to pick up the slack for us. They called in sick for us, go to the store for us, lie and cover for us, and pretend everything is fine. And the list goes on. But in recovery, we learn that we, as individuals, need to take responsibility for ourselves and be fully self-supporting, just like in our recovery groups. And while it's fine and healthy to be interdependent, it is not healthy to be overdependent or codependent. So how can we learn to carry our own weight and still be a part of the group? What are the spiritual principles that support this change? And we'll begin today by sharing our own experiences of being overly dependent on others in one form or another, and then move into the solution of a skillful use of the twin powers of love and wisdom. Then after the break, we'll share exactly how learning to balance love and wisdom allowed us to come into healthy relationship with ourselves and with others. So exactly how do we do this? I mean, what did it look like, Dan, when we when we um, were in this over-dependence role? Uh, I had to think back about that, and I, I know I've said this often, but I'll say it again. It, you know, my experience of being in the middle of it, I genuinely had no idea uh, how far out of balance I was in many ways. And, and uh, you know, it never, I didn't even see that there was an issue. I mean, I saw challenges in, in my life and not, not everything was easy. And then certainly um, as my addiction uh, grew, things got increasingly uh, more difficult and worse, but I just could not see the mechanism. But uh, looking back on it, um, I see that it is a matter of, for me, um, 
I was out of balance between myself and my community. And, you know, community could be uh, home, my home life. It could be my working or professional life. It could be my, um, you know, relationships at my, at my church community. And, and I can see now uh, ways that I was out of balance, where I was overly concerned with my own situation and my own needs and with myself. And, um, you know, only now from the perspective of coming into better balance, with that stuff, am I able to see it? And, uh, you know, it's not the kind of thing you want to run around talking about either. You know, oh, look, look how selfish I used to be. Let me tell you story after story about it. Uh, not exactly what we want to leap up and say, but that's, that's kind of what it looks like to me when we talk about being overly dependent. I think about being you know, out of balance. You know, and there's so many ways that we can be out of balance. And when I was reflecting on this, I, I was thinking about how did I get there? Because by the time I arrived at the in the recovery program, actually I arrived in therapy before I arrived in the recovery program. And by the time I arrived there, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, they called it codependence, but I didn't understand it. I didn't know what that meant. <clears throat> you know, I thought it was love when I gave to others. I didn't understand that I was giving out of my emptiness. I didn't have anything to give. You know, I was driven by fear. Um, I was driven by fear coming out of out of my childhood, my background, you know, fear of not enough money, not enough energy, not enough time, not enough love, not enough health. There was not enough of anything. And I, I that set the stage for me to look for somebody else to fix me, for something else to fix me. And so by the time I arrived in recovery, I was over-dependent and codependent looking everywhere outside of myself for a fix, which is probably one of the things that attracted me to a 12-step program because maybe that'll fix me. Right, exactly. I think uh, a lot of us come in with that idea that, okay, now, you know, everyone's saying, here's the solution. Let me go ahead and get this done so that I can be okay and get on with my life. Ha ha, little did we know. Uh, one way uh, that I recall an experience of being uh, over-dependent that I can now see uh, is uh, I really think it's fair to say that in many ways I was not doing my part. You know, not doing my part uh, at home. For example, uh, just he helping out with uh, all, all the responsibilities of being a homeowner and and having a family. I mean, I I felt like I was doing my part. And you know, when you have a family, it's not like everyone has to do all exactly the same thing. Certainly, you split up um, responsibilities and duties depending on talents and likes and dislikes and all of that. But I still think, looking back, that I could have done much better at um, being more helpful. Just you know, simply around the house, taking care of things. Um, you know, doing more of the uh, the jobs and the and the chores and whatnot. It's not like I didn't do anything, but I I I think that I could have been uh, a lot more helpful than honestly than I was at home. As you're sharing that, I'm having a flashback of my my uh, early twenties. And it wasn't that I wasn't helpful. It was I was basically a slob. You know, I mean, I would leave my shoes all over the house and then I would be angry because I couldn't find them where I left them. 
at the time I had a partner that would pick up after me, would run around and I didn't have to take responsibility for myself. I didn't have to do my laundry. You know, I, I let it be folded the way it was folded. You know, I had my own opinions about that, but you know, and I, I knew where to go find my shoes because she always put them back in the same place. You know, the same thing when we were doing a project. If I set a hammer or a screwdriver down, it disappeared because it got put back where it belonged. You know, and so I'm thinking about, you know, how all the time I depended on somebody else to take care of all those details. I was great at starting things, but I never got to finish it. You know, I just kind of let it land where it did and somebody else cleaned up. And when that happens, we have no opportunity to learn a different behavior. <laughs> That's that kind of a codependence that, that we talk about where if, if someone's sort of running behind me or I'm the one running behind somebody else uh, cleaning up messes and taking care of things, then, you know, I, I've taken away the consequences of those actions. How are they ever going to change? And I, I find myself in that situation, um, you know, if I think about uh, in my professional and my work life, um, how, how was I not um, doing my part? How was I out of balance between self and others? at work. And again, it's the same kind of thing, you know, certainly couldn't see it at the time. Um, I don't know that it was extreme, although it can be hard for me to judge that, um, you know, from my own perspective, but I could have done much better at being more engaged with the others at work, uh, more involved and helpful in what they were doing. And, and, uh, I think in reality, I was probably much more concerned with, well, what did I have to get done and how was I going to get it done? And, you know, just all, um, full up with uh, fear and concern, uh, related to trying to feel okay, uh, by getting all my tasks and projects and, and work done and not really thinking about, you know, what could I be doing here to, to make this easier for others and everyone, which of course includes me, um, at the same time, I definitely could have done a better job being, being more engaged, I think at work, being more helpful. And you know, the other extreme of that to me looks like I was overly responsible. I was a control freak. Um, I had difficulty delegating and when I did, it needed to be done exactly the way that I said, and here are the steps. You know, and I can recall that one of the lessons that I had to learn is that sometimes the process you use to arrive at a solution is not important as did you arrive at the solution and in a timely manner. Um, you know, and, and of course, there was a learning curve with that, but I can see now how much that was driven by the things that you just mentioned, by fear and by ego. You know, I have to take care of this. Nobody else can. And fear, oh my God, what are people going to think if I can't do this? You know, and, and those two things together kept me under a lot of pressure, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of what if, and, and you know, and it, I'm sure that wasn't helpful to my coworkers. Right. <laughs> it's kind of painful to look back, is it not? It is. <laughs> and to think about, gosh, you know, from where I sit now, I just really don't feel real great about some of the ways that I was. But like I keep saying, I mean, I genuinely had no idea. I swear, I had no idea. I didn't choose as much as that was just my reaction. I find when I think about, um, you know, ways that I'm being over-dependent, it almost always tends to be um, in the sort of self-centered variety, you know, I, I don't, I didn't find myself so much at that time, um, being all wrapped up in what someone else, um, thought, I think, you know, it's always a little tricky, but I, I, I just feel like that 
you know, straight up garden variety self-centeredness is how over, uh, my lack of balance, I would say, with um, self and others, my over-dependence on self, I guess, is what that would be. Kind of like your example, if you're doing a project and you leave the hammer out and the next day is put away, you know, that kind of um, it, it was, was more along my experiences. And, you know, another, I'm thinking about communities, you know, what communities was I involved in and, and how was I showing up? And uh, what's different now? And uh, what was going on then? And one is that my church community at that time, I was definitely um, not a congregant as much as an attendee. You know, I was just showing up. I was, uh, you know, taking away whatever the lesson might be, but I really wasn't giving back very much. I wasn't giving much financially. I think I thought I was doing the right thing. I was doing what we sometimes call, quote, leaving tips, you know, when they, when they pass the basket at the end of the service on Sunday, you know, I'd put a little bit of uh, money in there, but um, much later I learned what it really means to give. And what I was doing at first was uh, really not sufficient. And the same with my time, you know, I wasn't showing up to participate in events. I wasn't volunteering to help things get done, to help run the church, to take some ownership of the church was just not happening. That all changed, I'm glad to say, uh, later and sort of in, you know, church round two, uh, after I got sober, I was very involved. I did learn how to give. I learned how to give financially and um, of my time and my talent and really to become a community member, finally. And you, you're mentioning things that... Um you know, have their roots in thinking patterns. Um, you, you said, I didn't think this or this or that, you know, and, and when I reflect on on the kind of thinking patterns that I had, it was this, all of this going on inside of me, uh, I wonder what other people are going to think. I wonder if I'm doing this right. I wonder if it's going to be okay. I wonder if I'm going to make a mistake. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And this thinking set up set up this dynamic where I had this facade. I had to appear competent. I had to appear, appear responsible. I had to show up. And so I made all those things happen, but at great cost to my own personal um, uh, well-being in health, among other things, you know, missing sleep and and uh, abandoning family and, and things of that nature. And the result of that was this thinking pattern that I would con- I would call victimhood, you know, mm-hmm. because when something went wrong, it was, well, why does everything always happen to me? And how come I can't ever get a break? And well, it, this is never going to work. Why do they think I, that that's going to work? How am I supposed to do that? You know, and it was all about me, all the I thinking, and I kind of adopted that attitude where I carried this victimhood chip on my shoulder for a really long time. Well, I, you know, as we talk about it, I'm remembering and realizing uh, how self-centeredness can show up in such a variety of ways, all completely disguised from those of us who are right in the middle of it. Okay, so now that we know about the challenge of overdependence in its many forms, uh, what is the solution? Well, in Unity, we affirm that we all have the power to make decisions and to balance and harmonize these various aspects of our lives. Uh, these abilities are, in fact, expressed in Unity's 12 powers framework, and each of these 12 powers is an ability that we can learn to use skillfully in order to grow in spirit and to experience a better life. And so two of those powers that apply here today are love and wisdom. So that's what we want to focus on. 
So what do we mean by love and wisdom in this context, and what does that look like? Well, uh, the easy answer is what do we? What are those twelve powers defined as? Uh, I think of them as twin powers. Uh, the the twelve powers often show up in pairs, and the pairs are complementary. And the trick is to balance um, the particular pair of powers. In this case, love and wisdom. So love being that ability to attract and unify and desire and harmonize is a word that I think of a lot when I think about love, bringing things into harmony. And wisdom as the ability to discern and evaluate, you know, think of it as make, do the next right thing. The right part of do the next right thing is wisdom, uh, applying what we know. And so when we're talking about um, growing out of that overly dependent, that self-centered way of living into it, a, a truly balanced interdependence, then the ability to make sound decisions and the ability to harmonize, um, I think, are what underpin uh, that growth path to, to coming together, to, being, to becoming one of the bunch, you know, as we say. And, you know, that for me was a really difficult path because I, I was great at making decisions. They just weren't always the right decisions. <laughs> and I didn't know that I could change my mind given new information. So sometimes I made bad decisions and then I stuck to them, you know, which of course is the power of strength. And that, that, um, and then I imposed that on others. No, this is the letter of the law. You need to do it this way. There was no compassion, no understanding, no, no, uh, helpfulness in that kind of an attitude. And it took me a long time to get to this place of learning about the power of love and how that balances this judgmentalism that, um, I brought to my uh, thinking, because if, if everything's black and white, then it's simple, right? Yes, especially if I'm right, yeah. which I <laughs> somehow often was. I don't know how that happened. It's amazing. Uh, one thing that I learned that was super helpful to me along the way from this, and I, and I have to say that I first encountered it with my first unity minister, you know, the one where I was just showing up as an attendee, I was still uh, learning a lot even before I learned how to contribute. And one thing that uh, Reverend Chad shared, and I learned later, this is kind of a Buddhist concept, is the idea of, of skillful use of an ability or a power or, or whatever it is we have, skillful versus unskillful. And one way that I find that super helpful is that it's, there's no judgment involved in it. I'm not bad. You know, it's not wrong. It's just not a particularly skillful way to do this or that. Well, I can learn to be more skillful. Uh, certainly, we've all acquired skills in our lives, and we can improve them with practice or with instruction or whatever. So if I'm, if I'm using something like love or wisdom in an unskillful manner, that's not a moral judgment, and I can become more skillful. I found that super helpful. It, it allowed me to set aside some of the baggage you know, associated with, um, you know, like we we're sharing a few minutes ago, realizing that, gosh, I really was wrapped up in myself and it's embarrassing. And I don't really, you know, want people to know, though I'm here on the radio telling everyone about it. Um, it, it allows me to set some of that aside and realize, you know what, this is a matter of practice and skill and I can get better at this. We can all get better at something. So I have to thank Reverend Chad for that concept of the skillful use of any power, including in this case, love and wisdom, that I was not using that skillfully at first. And so I'm thinking about how the baggage word um, 
you know, triggered my thought that there's so much baggage around the word judgment. When I think of the word judgment, I'm thinking opposites, polar opposites, good, bad, happy, sad, right, wrong, all those kind of things. And I always had all this trouble with the gray areas because I had no tools. I had no tools with which to address those gray areas in what, in order to use the discernment that I had. Uh, and some of that was just the way that I understood the world growing up. And responsible, the word responsible was one of those words for me. You know, when I was told I was responsible for something, it was a duty, an obligation. It was my job. And of course, that tied in to my codependency to a degree that, oh my gosh, I'm not going to let you down and I'll do this if it kills me. And we've talked about that before. Some of it almost did. <laughs> and, and, you know, and these, these thinking patterns under, underlie this whole uh, expression of codependency and addiction for me that kept putting me in the same positions over and over and over again until I started learning a more skillful way to address those. And I didn't learn that until I found the Unity Church. Yeah, you mentioned judgment and, and what always comes to mind about that. And I notice here in the in the Unity 12 Power definition of wisdom, uh, it uses the word discern and not judge. Because judgment, I think, is an unclear term. Do we mean discernment or do we mean condemnation? Because they're both senses of the meaning of judgment. So when I say, oh, I'm going to apply good judgment, you you know, probably assume that I'm talking about discernment, but I find it uh, good to be clear about those things. Um, one way, when I think about uh, skillful use of wisdom, uh, that to me means making um, helpful, or I don't know, this is a little tricky, what I would call good decisions and balancing self with others. I think uh, in the past, and especially in, in active addiction, I really wasn't making um well-balanced decisions when it came to uh, myself versus other people. I think I felt um, disconnected in general in life. Again, had no idea about that. But a skillful use of wisdom to me, making good decisions when it comes to deciding what to do uh, in a group situation, for example. You know, is it my turn to talk or is it is it my turn to listen? you know, is, is one decision that I would need to make in a group situation. Is it my turn to take the trash out? You know, should I take this as my responsibility or should I be annoyed that someone else isn't taking care of it? That, that, that phrase, be annoyed, just brought to mind this phrase that my uh, sponsor told me. She said, well, who's upset about it? And I said, well, I am. And the it could be anything. And she said, well, then do something about it. You know, I, I couldn't take the responsibility of fixing the problem. I was always upset about somebody else not doing something, um, the dishes or the laundry or the cleaning or the whatever around the house. And it, you know, and I think of that to this day. I'll come in the kitchen and it's piled high because we've been cooking and, you know, we make different amounts of messes when we cook. And I walk in there and I go, oh, man, it's such a mess. And I thought, OK, who's upset? I am. I'm going to do the dishes, you know, so that was a helpful tool to me. But one of the things that uh, the power of wisdom means to me is the ability to evaluate or discern. And I don't know that I had that as a skill for a long while because I had a snap judgment driven out of fear. Is this safe or is it not safe? You know, is this going to serve me or is it not going to serve me? And so I had to learn um, a lot of, uh, I would say, skills underlying this. How do I appraise something? What am I basing my decision on? Um, you know, what, qu what qualities am I evaluating? 
as part of my process here. That's what appraisal means to me, looking at a wide variety of, of uh, aspects of something as opposed to just a snap judgment, which is what I was in the habit of doing. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I had that same habit because, you know, our literature talks about being driven by a thousand forms of fear. And when, when I'm driven by fear, then I will tend to you know, make uh, shallow judgments, if you will, that are reactions out of fear, uh, you know, looking to avoid, uh, mainly for me, avoid a situation that I don't want to be in. So I totally get that. I love what you were just sharing that your sponsor said about, well, who's upset? And it made me realize and remember that, you know, if, if I'm, so we use the dishes example, because it's so common, easy to understand. If I'm, if I'm upset that um, someone hasn't done the dishes, then, then I, I'm the one who can do something about it, because I'm the one that's upset. And if I don't, then what I'm doing is I'm giving my power away to somebody else. I'm ceding my power to another person. They're not even there. They might not even know that they were supposed to do this. Or if we talked about it, I could be wrong. Maybe it's me who should be doing this, but I'm the one who's upset about it. But I've learned along the way to be wary of situations where I'm giving away my power. Or like I've heard in the rooms many times, letting people live rent-free in my head is another way of giving away my power. And I can do better. I can be wiser. I can make better decisions with my wisdom uh, than to give away my power or let people uh, live rent-free in my head. I can, I can become more skillful in my decisions and my actions. And, of course, giving away our power is what's at the root of codependency, you know. Um, and and it's, it doesn't really matter at this point whether it was taught, whether it was learned, whether it was uh, acquired. It's just where we are. What are we going to do about it? You know, and learning to apply these these tools are um, are what helped me get out of that. And so uh, let's talk about the power of love for a little bit. You know that it that that brings life into balance. And and the example, you know, it's a kind of an ethical example that um, comes to my mind is, you know, do you steal a loaf of bread to feed a, a ch- hungry child? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the law says, and and judgment says, you don't steal. You know, but the higher law calls to take care of a hungry child. So we have these kind of decisions all over the place in our daily lives where, you know, we would say that these fall into ethics, into ethical decisions, these gray areas that I spoke earlier about not knowing how to handle. And I think that it's the balance of love and wisdom that that discerns exactly how we go forward in those gray spaces. And I think the power of love was the one that I did not understand how to use. You know, I have to share that 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 concept that you're pointing at is so powerful. It is in uh, the Scripture. It, it's in the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible, and it's referred to as binding and loosing the law. You know, when do you stick to exactly what it says, and when is the spirit of the law what needs to uh you know, take the day, like your situation with the loaf of bread. Uh, that, that's a human dynamic that goes way back. Is it the letter or the spirit of the law? Well, it depends. Well, hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. All are welcome. 
We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell taken from a talk called The Plan Unfolds. I know in those times in my life where the changes have been hard and difficult and painful that one of the things that has helped me to deal with them is to realize, oh my gosh, this is not just ultimately for my own growth and my own benefit, but it's going to help me in some way to be a benefit of other people. And so very important to this idea of true new beginnings is that it usually begins not with something that we've changed out here and have said we want this to be the new beginning, but we're beginning to feel something moving or healing or changing inside of ourselves. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Every summer, Unity hosts an international convention, and you're invited. It's not just for ministers or members of Unity Churches, but for anyone who could use a week of inspiration and connecting with others interested in spirituality. The Unity People's Convention will be in the Kansas City area the week of June 17th. Register online at unityworldwideministries.org slash registration. Sign up today and take advantage of the early bird discount through February. Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover how to connect with our loved ones on the other side with Suzanne Giesman and Messages of Hope. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central as Suzanne shares evidence that love never dies. An evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and author, Suzanne brings hope and healing through her gift of communication with those who have passed. Suzanne brings messages of hope and love that go straight to the heart. Tune in this Thursday right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. 
Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And so prior to the break, we were discussing the the way of being over-dependent that we were uh, pre-recovery and how love and wisdom and balancing those can help us bring uh, come into right relationship with self and others. And so, Lonnie, now that we know about this challenge of being over, over-dependent, and that the solution is the skillful use of love and wisdom. How exactly can we use those two things to come into a healthy balance between ourselves and others? Well, you know, Dan, for me, part of it was I had to learn some baseline tools. And one of those tools had to do with learning what what was mine to do and what was not mine to do. What are my resources? What are my values? Because an awful lot of the, the overdependence um, that I experienced had to do with assigning my values to somebody else um, or taking on somebody else's values. And so one of the things to, to come into balance that I had to learn was, what do I like? What do I want? What should I do? What can I do? You know, and I, I learned this uh, really when I was diagnosed with cancer very early in recovery. I was no job and um, in ill health and little bit little energy i couldn't do a lot of things for myself so i had a lot of time to pray and meditate and think about what are my values and how have i made decisions and how do i want to make decisions going forward because when i at that time turned my life over to the care of a physician um, it didn't seem like i had very much power i had given my power away yeah, this is a this is a big question, and 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 I know for me this is still unfolding. I suppose that's not surprising because everything's still unfolding. But but sometimes I'm surprised at how uh, you know how bright the light is getting, so to speak. You know, I talk about well, the light the light bulb is slowly turning on. I'm really finally beginning to understand or to see this or that. And sometimes the light just keeps getting brighter and brighter. And right now for me, it's about this. Um, interdependence that we're talking about, this sort of the place that we want to be uh, and what interdependence looks like to me. And this is, uh, you know, top of mind for me recently in the last six months or so is that that wonderful balance in the interplay between the individual and the group and understanding that the individual is important and the group is important. And it and it's not an either or kind of situation. It's not do we do what the person wants or what the group wants. That's a very black and white win or lose way of looking at it. But interdependence and really, you know, when we're living in the spirit uh, as, a, as we are, uh, you can get to a place where it can be a win-win, you know, it's a both and. Uh, each person can do what is right for them and grow in the ways that are most important to them while being part of a group where the group is well served by each person uh, taking their part, doing their role, and both are healthy and both are growing. And when we can find that uh, place of balance, th- I mean, that's where the the magic is in this, if you will, for me, or that's where the spirit shows up loud and clear is in any kind of family, you know, uh, w- whether it be literally a family of origin or like we're talking about a church community or, or a recovery group or a work community or, or whatever, where each person is genuinely valued and uh, the group matters as well. It th- That just keeps getting more amazing and bigger and bigger for me. And I'm 
very happy about that, I have to say. And you know, that in some ways sounds like an ideal, you know, this interdependence, because my experience is that any group I enter, people are at all ranges of skillful and unskillful use. And one of the skills that I had to learn in a group was to ask for what I need. I can't just walk in and assume that everybody's at the same level I'm at and that we're all going to gel immediately and we're all going to understand one another and we're all going to get our needs met and all of that kind of thing. I might believe that um, under underneath everything, but one of the skills I had to develop was that of speaking up and saying, well, I, I'm not sure I understand. Can you explain that to me in a different way? Or so I, what I think you're saying is and restating things and that required for me courage. I had to drop that fear of, oh, my God, what are they going to think if I didn't catch it the first time? Yeah, and that that is a skillful use of wisdom. That's what I'm seeing there. You are making a decision. You're discerning that your next best step, the next right thing to do is to speak up. You know, what a wonderful use of wisdom to see that that is true in that situation. And and when and what I see um, in a group that's functioning well uh, is that each person can contribute according to their strengths and allow others to do the same. Um, so uh, my most recent home group, uh, right before we relocated, uh, is what I consider a very healthy group. I was in it for five years, and I saw it move from, you know, one way of being uh, over time into a much a healthier way of being. I didn't see it as unhealthy before, but man, after the change, I realized uh, what an improvement it was. And it's not that everything's perfect, and it's not that people don't get annoyed with each other or for, or forget the you know the ways that we do things uh, or forget to balance self with other. It's that overall, it's working really well. Every individual is welcomed and honored and loved and contributing. And the group itself is welcoming of each and every person. And so, yeah, not everyone is perfect by any means, but the dynamic is just really in tune. And it's a wonderful thing to see, to see people know, like you just said, when is it my turn to speak out and when is it my turn to step back? And we learn that, of course, by bumping our head against it, right? <laughs> by doing it wrong. We learn, we learn uh, how to make good decisions by making bad decisions. But that's how I've seen that work. And, you know, I'm seeing that happen more so in my family. And the better I get at it, the, the more readily I see it in the communities that I'm a part of. And, um, you know, my contribution can help those communities to grow, too. It's all, it's all an interdependence. And some of us are prone to speak out more than others, and some of us need to learn to listen. And, you know, I had lessons to learn in that way as well, because oftentimes somebody would have a contribution, and I had already decided how the end result was going to be. So I wasn't honoring the contribution, nor was I allowing them to express it, uh, because I'd already determined the way that I thought the conversation was going to go. And so that was one of the things that um, was helpful to me was to learn to sit with it, sit in the question and consider that there may be other ways of looking at this, a different perspective, uh, different than than the one that I hold. Uh, for me, that was a pretty big spiritual practice to learn to just be with it. And I had to have guidance as I learned these different tools, um, I had to have guidance from mentors, therapists, and, and sponsors that would, because something would disturb me and I wouldn't speak out about it and I'd 
you know, take it to one of them and, and they would then help me sort it out. They would help me dissect it uh, and understand whether this was based out of ego, based out of personality, or really based on a spiritual principle. And that, that was crucial to my uh, assembling the, the foundational tools that I needed in order to move forward. Yeah, I'm thinking that even in the serenity prayer, it talks about the wisdom to know the difference, you know, to be able to discern, just like you just said, is it this or is it that? Is it mine to do or mine to let go of? You know, what is happening here? Um, The more I think and talk about this, the more I'm realizing how much of this I learned in the in the in the halls of uh, 12 step recovery groups, because that is where I really was sort of, um, you know, walked into a situation that wasn't of my choosing in the way that many others are, you know, the way that family is or that, that work is. It was, it was in a sense, a random uh, selection of people from all walks of life. Yes, we had uh, addiction recovery um, in common, but learning to function well in that group with such a diversity of people in it, I'm realizing more and more how helpful it was. And probably the most helpful concept and practice that I saw was what we call group conscience. And so just letting the group decide, regardless of my own opinion. And believe me, I I know which way it should go. Uh, I might be wrong, but I still know which way it should go. And um, to to be able to let the group decide, regardless of my own opinion, is a uh, is about harmony. You know that that is allowing mm-hmm. harmony to unfold. It's it's using wisdom to know when when it's my turn to step back. But like you just shared, when it, when is it my turn to speak up? Well, guess what? Everyone is allowed to speak up, just like I am. What they think is no more or less important than me. That's how the group conscience works. And, you know, I've been at regional conferences, just rolling my eyes and looking at my watch, and can we get out of here? And, oh, my God, again with the thing. But even though I was really annoyed, the beauty of the group conscience was unfolding right in front of me. And after it was all done, I realized that was exactly how this needed to unfold. I just, you know, I wasn't there with it. That's why I was irritated. Uh, there was nothing wrong. There was no problem at all. And the issue gets resolved and we move forward or it gets taken up later. Hey man, whatever. It works. The group conscience works. And that's a really important way that I learned, you know, uh, harmonizing uh, each member, uh, discerning what is the right thing to do, when to talk, when to not, when to push an idea, when to let go. Um, in our recovery groups. I mean, I can't stress it enough. Saved my life. You know, there are two things that come to my mind. One is that, you know, 10 heads are better than one. And so I learned that finally. And I learned that again in the recovery groups. I've learned that in small groups where if I put a problem on the table, guess what? Everybody listens and many people contribute and an an answer emerges for me. No one person gives me the answer. Nobody says, you should do this. They say, well, this is how it worked for me. And out of that, I get the next idea of what the next right thing for me to do. So that was one thing that came to mind. The other thing is the group conscience uh, was a baffling experience for me because I didn't understand how these factions, because there were usually more than two, could come together on with such heated debate about the various things that were under discussion and then walk away friends. 
And it, it took a while, you know, and, and one thing that I figured out about it is because by agreement, we have this covenant, if you will, that we will function as part of a group and we will, we will um, honor the decision that is made and we will go by the decision that is made. It, even if I'm totally against it, I'm willing to honor that. And the other thing that came to my mind was that every person that got to speak feels respected. They get the same amount of time. They get the same amount of attention. You know, they, they have undivided and full attention of the entire group. They can say anything they want to. And, you know, I don't know where I would have gotten that anywhere else, those two elements, that I am bound by this covenant of recovery, that I will abide by the group's decision, and secondly, that I get to have my say. I think the beauty of that is because it's based on principle, which is another reason I love the unity movement, also based on principle, on spiritual principle, the principle of the group conscience, that there's wisdom in the group, that the spirit speaks through the group conscience. The, the idea that that is what is more important than what any particular person or faction may think. I think that's why that works, and it's amazing. You know, I think what I learned uh, in the rooms uh, is e easy to find opportunities to apply it out in the world. For example, um, I find it very easy today to do what I might call let others win. You know, and I put win in quote marks because, you know, what looks like winning to one person may be um, not of, of no consequence to another. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm driving on the highway and someone is, is driving in what I consider an unskillful manner, maybe they're being aggressive, maybe they're, you know, staying in the left lane when I think they should be in the right lane and all that, to just to let that person in, you know, okay, go ahead. You, you got it. Go ahead of me. It's fine. We all win if you get ahead of me. One, I get to be rid of you, and you get what you think that you want. And so I can let quote let the other person quote win. And really, what I'm doing is using some wisdom to create some harmony, and everyone wins. You know, I don't want the the truck on my back bumper. The truck doesn't want me where they want to be. Hey, I'll move out of the way. No harm, no foul. You didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Go ahead. You know, I spoke earlier about how fear had driven me in all of these different areas. And, you know, and they talk about how the opposite of fear is faith. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I realized that part of how I got out of this, moved out of the overdependence and into the interdependence was by um, utilizing faith. Faith that some of the tools I was being given was going was going to work. And, and uh, for example, with regard to the financial, I was in fear of not having enough money. So what happened was I started learning about the spiritual principles of tithing and, and the flow of abundance. And then the practical supporting aspect of that was that I took a Dave Ramsey class and learned how to budget and to live within my means. You know, I didn't have a starting point before that, but you know, I'd, I'd pick up a concept and then I'd, I'd take a class or I'd, or I'd learn a tool and together those would move me forward. And it happened that way with lots of pieces of my life that had been out of control, that I'd handed over my power in all those other areas that I mentioned before. Yeah, I, I hear that uh, shift that you're describing into, uh, you know, what really sounds like a healthy balance between yourself and others. And and that's a question that I carried and, and carry now. What does a healthy balance look like? 
you know, when we're talking about a, a balance between self and others. Um, one thing that I know that I learned early on, and we've already mentioned this a few times, is that it's just to be willing to be a part of the group. You know, we have that phrase, one of the bunch, that helps us remember that, you know what, I'm not more important than any other, any other person, and no other person is more important than me. We're all kind of one of the same bunch. And one way that that shows up is is using wisdom to know when is it time to listen to what others are saying and when is it time for me to speak or uh, the difference between true listening and what we might call waiting to talk, you know, that kind of listening where someone else is talking, but I'm not really listening to them because I'm just waiting to say my part. Um, So to come into better balance in the group setting um, and really listening to others versus just waiting for them to stop so that I can say my part. And, and when I became willing to do that, and willingness, of course, huge part of life, huge part of uh, recovery, when I became willing just to, you know, I wonder what would happen if I didn't say anything at all in this meeting. If I just listened, what would happen? Well, guess what? The meeting went perfectly well. Nothing was missing. It didn't go off the rails because I wasn't there to set it in the right direction. And I thought, you know what? Think about all the meetings where I'm not there, you know, which is most of them. I'm only at the ones I'm at. There are a lot more meetings going on than that. And you know what? They do just fine without me. Let me just be a part of the group. It's okay. Yes, I do have things that are valuable to share. My voice is equally uh, uh, a part, just like everyone else's. But, you know... It's okay if I just listen. And I learned that just by being part of the group. You know, and there's lots of examples in family life, too. And one that I can think of is, um, you know, trying to find this healthy balance between, oh, I got to do what my family wants and, gee, what do I want to do? Um, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking about, like, holiday time or um, uncommitted time. For me, I always have a list of, I don't know, 27 things that I – don't have time to do other times that I wish I could do that I that I want to do that I'd love to explore and so this is where this balance comes in you know um, I value my family I value time with my family so am I willing as you were just mentioning to to do a little in regard of of meeting in the middle on this and negotiating if you will so that both of our needs are met and uh, you know sometimes I get most of the time I get some of what I want. Sometimes I get more of what I want. And oftentimes I, I share, you know, really a lot of this balance for me is learning to share instead of just what about me? Yeah, I I agree. And I think that when I can take uh, some of my focus off, you know, quote what I want, um, that's what creates the space for a you know, what I'd have to call a win-win, not even a compromise, really, because compromise sounds like someone had to give something up. I'm thinking about a win-win situation where no one feels compromised. Everyone feels heard. Everyone feels valued. And what that's been like for me when, when I've been a participant in those situations is sometimes, you know, the thing I, that I thought was most important at the beginning, after a while, I realized, you know, that's actually not that important. I can let go of that. Not that I am have to or, oh, well, I guess I'll let go of this because we're never going to get anywhere if I don't. But a genuine change in perspective and, and that 
supporting that uh, concept of a of a of a group a consensus, not a compromise, but a consensus. Another way of of being part of the group that comes to mind for me uh, is letting people be wrong, or I have to say what I think of as wrong. Um, Because when I first got into the rooms, trust me, a lot of people were wrong about a lot of things. And and I just hadn't been around long enough to figure out how to communicate that to them uh, effectively. But the more that I Uh, hung around, the more that I was willing to listen, the more that I was willing to let other people be what I thought was wrong, um, I come to find out uh, they're not wrong, believe it or not. And I'm not right, and I'm not wrong, and they're not right. That whole concept of right and wrong just sort of faded over time and and lost its... um, you know, it's sort of negative emotional charge to it. And I begin to realize that other people have walked their own path to this moment in this day, in this meeting. And I haven't walked their path. I don't know what challenges they have. I don't know where they've been. I don't know what they're um, working on right now. Uh, Maybe I could just chill out a little bit and relax and just let them say what they know to be right and true. And maybe I'll actually learn something from it instead of thinking, oh, you know, that's not how it is because that's not how it is for me. You know, that was the beginning of that sort of melting of my own uh, sharp edges, if you will. You know, we tumble all, all of us rough rocks together and we get smooth by bumping into each other. So, you know, being part of the group by just letting other people be, quote, wrong, uh, come to learn uh, they're not wrong. In fact, I, I can learn an awful lot uh, from people if I just let them be them, and they let me be, and they let me be me. So I'm reminded of one of the tools that I was given, which was to take a notebook to the meetings with me because I was bored. I was, you know, going to several meetings, same people there, say the same things over and over and over, and I'm not in a frame of mind to hear anything. And I was given a challenge, and the challenge I was given was to. Find something every person says that is helpful. Yeah. And, and so I started making notes. And that was a helpful tool for me to, to understand everybody has something to contribute. That's a form of looking for the good. You know, we talk about that a lot. It's another thing I love about unity is that we're really astute. We're really tuned in to the idea of looking for the good in all things because we realize that whatever we look for, that's what we're going to find. You know, that's just sort of a fact about consciousness and awareness. And I love how we apply that in the world. I mean, it's literally like, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm making up the whole world around me anyway as I go. Why don't I just make up good things? If I'm going to look for the way the world is and that that's going to be my experience of the world, I'm going to choose to have a good experience of the world. And the way I do that is I look for good things. It's not like they weren't there before. I just wasn't focused on them. So let's now move into action because unity's fifth principle states it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover So here's something that you can do to move from being too reliant, perhaps, on others to living a healthy balance of self and others using love and wisdom. So think of a situation where you may be overly dependent on others. Do you have trouble making your voice heard? Or do you expect somebody else to advocate for your needs? Perhaps you're too wrapped up in what others think of you. Or maybe 
you're overly focused on your own needs and desires. What's important right now is just to pick one thing, a simple thing, and, and take it into a quiet time of prayer and meditation. So we'll simply relax and take it easy. No need to struggle. We can let it be easy. So for an example, let's use being overly concerned about what others think of us. So this is one of the tools. Uses a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to what others may think of you. You could say something like, what others think of me is none of my business. Repeat it a few times in your head or say it aloud, but say it with conviction. What others think of me is none of my business. And follow that up immediately with a bold, positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I am a unique expression of the life of God, valued and loved just the way I am. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. Just breathe into this idea. Give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. So take some time this week and affirm your new experience. What others think of me is none of my business. I'm a unique expression of the life of God, valued and loved, just the way I am. So we've come to the end of our time together today, and we hope you found something to help you on your recovery path. And we both bless you on your journey. We, we want to say thank you to all our listeners, and thank you so much, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights shared in our discussion today. And listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.